Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, the two sides of Square Enix become much, much more obvious as they start doing damage control for some bad launches. The M1 Ultra, the reviews are in, and it does, in fact, fall short, as we said it probably would. New signs that the chip charge are getting worse, and NFTs coming to Instagram. Oh, boy. All that and more coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech. You don't want to miss this. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, you know This is the guys on tech. I am Eagle Falcon. Totally did it on the first take. De- definitely didn't do two other uh, failed takes that no one will ever see the light of day again, except if you watched live at twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. Nothing like that definitely happened. Why would you assume something did? Just because some guy on a mic said so? That's crazy. We do have a lot to talk about today, though. We do have a lot to talk about. I have some stories in regards to some Square Enix titles to actually open up with. And before, and just, just fair warning. Yes. There are in fact NFT stories this week. I know. I'm just as unsurprised as you. Though I am actually a little surprised as to where they came from. We'll get to that in a bit. But first I want to talk about Babylon's Fall. We spoke in the the bonus episode a bit about Babylon's Fall and Chocobo GP, but this week, Square Enix is kind of showing their bad side a bit more. It's interesting because on one half, you have Square Enix, the company behind a lot of our childhood favorites, as well as some great modern games also within the Final Fantasy franchise lately, both uh, Strangers of Paradise, which is just an absolute game that knows it's a giant joke and just runs off with it. Everyone's loving the game so far. But of course, it only came out, you know, a couple days ago. And then, of course, Final Fantasy XIV, which is being run by apparently the only guy left in all of video gaming that actually understands that the players are the people who pay your paycheck. And you should probably treat them well. What a crazy concept we have in the world of video gaming. Actually treating the players with some respect. I mean, I take that back a little, a little bit. El- um, From Software actually does seem to be treating their uh, players very, very well. It- it's just that um, those same players are also masochists. But, oh, that's actually a good one. Someone in chat pointed out that uh, Forspoken has been delayed indefinitely. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Forspoken. That was another game that actually looked really well, and uh, it appears to have poofed. Gone. But basically, Babylon's Fall and Chocobo GP, for those who didn't catch the stories, uh, both launched saying they're going to be live uh, game... They're going to be live games, meaning that there's going to be content constantly being made for them, but uh, refuse to acknowledge the fact that the uh, internal pushing for those microtransactions 
would be worse than the ads on a Verge article. There are more pitfalls within Chocobo GP and Babylon's Fall to try and push everyone towards going ahead and paying more and more money for a game you already paid full price for that it's it leaves a bad taste in all the players mouths so what is square enix doing about it they have two bad launches well for babylon's fall they have made decisive action they have decided that they have no plans to reduce future content. Don't worry, there's gonna be more content. And we wanted player feedback. So they put out a survey to ask the player's opinions about the graphics. Yes, that was the problem. The graphics. You nailed it. Good job. Good job, Square. Yeah, it, it's it's not the massive amount of predatory microtransactions. It's not the in-your-face attitude about these same microtransactions. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's It's all about the graphics, and we're still going to keep new content. I don't get it. Like, here's what here's what slays me. I know Square Enix is a big company. All right? I know this. You know this. I know this. They're a massive company. All right? And, of course, there are multiple different divisions. Like, God, there's got to be dozens upon dozens of various smaller divisions that basically operate as their own independent studio. So to say, I can't believe Square Enix made this and also this is kind of unfair because it's almost like 20 different companies are trying to work as one and it just doesn't work well. But at the same time, I don't know how, how any division within Square Enix looks at their game. And at the same time, you have... Basically, right now, the star director, Yoshi P, in charge of Final Fantasy XIV, who has easily by far the most successful live service game in the entire company. And how does he treat DLC and extra content and that sort of thing in microtransactions? He was reluctant to put a dressing room for the shop inside the game. Any sort of microtransactions? Never, ever, ever mentioned in the game. The only time you'll see it is on the launcher. That's it. But otherwise, if you just strolled around the game, you would never know which by the way, is how it should be.
nobody wants to go ahead and after a long day of working, driving around, hearing ads on your radio, seeing giant billboards with more ads on them, fire up your phone, there's more ads, you read your daily news, there's ads there. Do you really want to go in on your video game and get more ads for more microtransactions in there? And Chocobo GP, in my opinion, is a far, far worse example of this because chocobo gp all the advertisements that were in everyone's face just implied that this game was going to be a mario kart clone except with final fantasy skins which you know what i was on board But you know that whole thing of you don't pre-order? You never want to pre-order because you never know what you're going to get and you should wait to see if it's actually good. I'm glad I didn't pre-order this. I'm really glad I didn't pay order this, pre-order this. Because if I paid $50, fired it up, and then, oh, hey, look, here's your daily login for the premium currency that, by the way, costs real money. Oh, and hey, by the way, uh, your premium currency, unlike your real money, has an expiration date. Oh, yeah, and you have limited time to go ahead and spend that premium currency that you build up to go ahead and unlock certain characters within the game. And you only and once it's at the that's it. It's a new season. And now someone else is available. Say what you want about the Mario Kart on the Switch right now. That it's, oh, it's just a re-release of an old game. And it now has some DLC. At least I know with Mario Kart. I pay 60 bucks for the game and 40 bucks for the DLC. And I have everything. I'm done. How much is Chocobo GP going to try and squeeze out of me? Potentially infinite. It just feels absolutely terrible. Now, the update to this is that Square has in fact issued a letter. The letter reads as follows. To a little bit, excuse me. To all our players. I am very sorry that bugs in the competitive mode of the game and our lack of advanced communication have caused inconvenience to players. For a moment, I thought that comma was a period, and I was like, wait, what? Okay. The letter continues. The development team has come together and has been working to fix all the bugs as soon as possible. We have also heard many opinions about how additional DLC is implemented and we are considering this feedback seriously and putting all our efforts into making sure that we provide future updates that satisfy all fans who have purchased the game. Let me interject. 
oh boy, this is going to be good. Because if they're serious about this, what this should mean is that your colorful Las Vegas casino-esque style of saying, ooh, hey, you've logged in, have your your freemium bucks and all that for for the day. By the way, you have one month to spend it, lol. If they're taking it seriously, that should be gone. Poof. Vanish. In theory. But concerning the fact that, you know, so far this game has launched out to look as predatory as possible, I have some doubts. The letter continues. The first thing we have done is change the prize level system for Chocobo GP mode to make it easier to increase your level. Let me interject. I didn't even realize there was a level system. I'll be perfectly honest. I saw the screenshots of the daily login and just said, all right, I'm out. Bye. And put my wallet back in my pocket. And that was it. What else was there to see? The letter continues. We have also eased up on the overall requirements and have now made it easier to reach level 100 in particular. We hope players will take advantage of this to earn cloud or some new vehicles. We have also set our new design policy to re I'm sorry, readjust the metagame so that it is easier for players to earn new characters once they have purchased the retail version of the game. Let me interject for a minute. Wait, there is a meta as to which character is better than others? So it's not Mario Kart at all. The letter continues. Taking this thinking further... We will now have cosmetic items, such as costumes, that don't affect gameplay as the high-level prize pass rewards or as items on sale in the Mithril shop. Let me interject. Mithril, by the way, is the name of the premium currency. Just so you know. The letter continues. We are open to implementing additional changes to the game and will continue to take all feedback into account and polish the game even further going forward. We are also considering removing some of the restrictions on the light version, which today I learned there's a light version, to make it easier for streamers to hold events. So watch out for further news on that. And it was signed, or digitally signed, Hironori Okiyama of Square Enix. He then went on to explain some of the bugs that that have been summarized below, errors when purchasing items that arise from differences in the application version, an issue when matchmaking that results in some players being unable to enter, a bug where the race starts timing is not in sync, issues where races do not end in the correct way. So... Here's where I view that right away. 
you have here a game that launched from the get-go basically being a pay-up-front, pay-to-win game. That's what it looks like here. Which was not what was advertised in the first place. And, you know, I, I love Square Enix. They've made so many games that I've loved growing up, and even games today that I absolutely love. And then they do nonsense like this, and it's just, holy cow. How much more tone deaf can you possibly be when it comes to stuff like this? It's staggering. We'll be keeping an eye on that, to say the least. I just don't understand how a company could be that hostile to their users. And that's what it kind of feels like. A game like that is just straight up hostile to its users. But it just says, hey, just, you know, a little little bit of money. It can be better than everyone else. It's just pay to win. Everyone's trying to quit Lost Ark because it's pay to win. And even there, it's a slightly less subtle pay-to-win sort of style. But speaking of hostile to your user base, I bring you the story of Future Motion. Now, for those who don't know what Future Motion is, have you ever seen a one-wheeler? It's like a skateboard, except there's one giant tire in the middle. You lean forward, it goes forward. You lean backwards, it goes backwards. It's it's a neat little thing, and it's very much something I only imagine being popular in coastal cities and pretty much nowhere else. It is definitely not something that I personally see myself using. Well, they made an update to... uh, one of their models. This update says that someone in chat asked, it's like a one-wheeled Segway. It basically is, except there's no, like, bar to hold. It is just a board and one wheel. That's it. Let me see if I can actually get a picture of it, because I only have the article, or rather the Reddit thread that talks about it. Why is it so hard to get a picture? There we go. I mean, it's, I could see myself using one of these before, say, a hoverboard or a Segway, but, um, 
yeah, no, it's it's not something for me, especially as someone who is, you know, more of a driver sort, sort of person. But the thing is that it is an electric device that goes ahead and transports. So it has to have a battery, right? And eventually the battery will die, which means eventually you're going to have to replace the battery. Well, this company isn't exactly all that big. It's not like they have dealerships everywhere that you can just go around and just send it in to get fixed. So inevitably, you're going to go ahead and try to replace the battery yourself. And being the fact that it is not an iPhone and not made of glass, it should be relatively easy to just take a screwdriver, take off the panel, and just swap out the battery. It's just a pretty standard lithium battery. Except they have switched to a proprietary one. That's a little disappointing, but, you know, that's not all that uncommon to go ahead and switch to a proprietary battery. Might be able to get more capacity out of it. Want to go ahead and keep those sales internally. Still a douche move to your customers, but where the real hostility begins is that if you go in and try to replace the battery, the device will brick itself. It will throw a memory corrupted error and it will not remove the error. Even if you factory reset it, it will still keep the error. And your only choice at that point is in fact to send it to the manufacturer. You might think Oh, it's just a silly little one-wheeled skateboard. I mean, it, it, that's just kind of, it's its a douchey move, but it's not that big. Would you tolerate this from literally anything else? Oh, my laptop died. Let me go replace the, ba- let me go replace the battery. Oh, I guess my laptop's worthless now. You literally make anything else that's electrically powered and the battery's replaced and it's not, ne- and it now bricks itself. It would be unacceptable. Even in this, even as someone who would never use one of these things, I still consider it unacceptable in any way, shape, or form. But here we are. That is the world we live in, and I, for one, am looking forward to seeing where this goes. The article itself, which is what this got my attention, is from... JW Batteries, who used to make third-party batteries for these devices, is now being sued by Future Motion because JW Batteries is trying to create a battery in which you can safely do the swap. Someone in chat asked, how many negative reviews does the product have? You know, I am not sure. Let's let's go on Amazon real quick. Future Motion One Wheel XR. Sure, that's that looks like a thing. Um, four stars with um with one hundred twenty seven reviews.
Oh, never mind. It's not even for the board. It's for a piece of plastic that goes on the board. Wow, a $65 piece of plastic that goes on the board. Holy cow. I'm in the wrong business. I need to make cheap plastic for this stupid thing. Clearly, I've been doing it wrong. Holy cow. It actually looks like the company doesn't even sell their product on Amazon. So there's actually a decent chance you can't even negatively review this product at all. I mean, if I was going to be that hostile to my customers, not giving them any outlet to uh, badmouth me would be one of the first things I'd do. But there, there, there you go. The next time you think that after removing a port you always wanted is, is the peak of hostile consumerism, just remember... This one company will brick your device if you go ahead and try to swap the battery. Good job, team. I love it. Absolutely love it. Speaking of hostile work environment, Microsoft is testing ads in Windows 11 File Explorer. You just can't make this stuff up. So... What happened? Well, inside the latest Windows 11 Insider build, this means like the public beta that um, people who sign up for it get these versions of Windows before anyone else, and then they give their feedback. It's basically the equivalent of the WoW test realm, except unlike the WoW test realm, Microsoft at least pretends to listen. So... What happened? Well, the version that came out would, in the top bar of the File Explorer, recommend versions of of, of uh, whatever the heck you're working on to go ahead and open it, such as this one right here that says, write with confidence across documents, emails, and the web with advanced writing suggestions from, and then Microsoft, whatever. I, I don't even care. I'm not even, I'm not even going to go ahead and say what the name of the software is they try to shill for. And then, of course, there's also the, uh, the more infamous one that you see from time to time about signing into OneDrive that's already in Windows 11. And I want to say I've seen things like that in Windows 10, but I've just went, stop that. I'm not signing to OneDrive. Get out of here. Now, this is bad, but this doesn't offend me nearly as much as Microsoft's response to this. All right? Because you know what Microsoft said? When people started calling out Microsoft for this blatant advertisement inside uh, Windows 11. Oh, well, that was a 
mistake. Uh, that, that was an internal switch that was accidentally flipped. We did not mean to have ads inside the Windows 11 file explorer. And we apologize for this. This was a mistake. We have no intention on implementing this feature. You know, case closed. If you had no intention on implementing the feature, why does it exist? No, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I, I, I have, you know, this, um, I, I, I have this copy of this game I really hate right next to me, but I don't plan on playing it. That's not going to happen. I have Fortnite Monopoly set up next to me, already set up and re ready to go for when my three friends come over, but we have no intention on playing Fortnite Monopoly. That's crazy. Why would you think that? Just because it's already set up and out there? That's silly. We would never do that. You see the problem with the logic and the fact that Microsoft expects us to just believe that, just expects us straight up on its face to just say, ah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you, you, you just accidentally turned on a switch. Why does a switch exist, by the way? It just, it blows me away. It blow you know what the worst part is? The worst part about all of this, and this is the part that drives me the most insane. People believed Microsoft. And that is the part that annoys me the most. The fact that Microsoft not only put ads in a build of the operating system and then tried to tell us, oh, we accidentally turned that on and then everyone, oh, okay, we get the mistake. Understandable, have a nice day. I, I, I feel like I overdosed on crazy pills. Like I'm just in an absolute madland. Like, what? What? Wait, what? I need a breather. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we have some more <laughs> interesting little stories, including Tesla firing employees for showing the truth. Welcome back. Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right. Tesla has quite possibly committed the most Tesla thing I have ever seen. So, all right, let's get some background first. As most people know, Tesla has a feature called autopilot, which actually isn't like autopilot like you'd think it is. It's actually more autopilot for, say, boats and airplanes, where it just basically keeps you in a straight line. That's all it is. Autopilot is just basically adaptive cruise control. But... They've been promising since the year 95, 95, or whenever the heck it is now. I, I don't know. 2020 has ruined my sense of time. This is the year 10,068, right? Right? I don't know. But 
the full the full self-driving software is not in uh, in production yet and that's the key it is currently in beta and by the way in order to participate in this open beta that is that should be legally allowed you have to pay ten thousand dollars for your thirty thousand or your forty thousand dollar car now to even be able to use this software that isn't ready for production yet which by the way still blows me away on just how much punishment tesla users are willing to take and how much abuse they're willing to take from tesla First it was 6,000, now it's 10,000, and the software is now two years past due, and by the way, it still doesn't work. Well, a Tesla employee posted a video showing the limits of what the full self-driving beta can do and how it almost got into an accident and how it's really not full self-driving. You still got to go ahead and pay attention to it because, of course, it's a beta piece of software. It's not ready for anything. And... For showing what the car is actually capable of doing by showing an actual real-life example of what the car can do, the employee was terminated. So, Tesla fanboys, I encourage you to please email me at eaglefalcontech at gmail.com and defend this. Please. I want to hear your defense. (laughs) It's going to be good. Come on. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I want to, I want to see what the defense is for this because the car is not one that is unavailable. It's a model Y you can go ahead and buy a model Y and you'll get it. And granted, you won't get it for another nine months. Or two months if you go ahead and get it with the optional $10,000 full self-driving feature on it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that doesn't seem suspicious at all, Elon. And keep in mind, this is with the public version of the full self-driving beta. It's available for everyone. It's a public beta. It shouldn't be a public beta, but it's a public beta. Literally what the employee did would be no different than what I could do by spending that kind of money, assuming I had that kind of money. There's no difference. And the employee was fired. By the way, I want to remind you that Elon Musk, the techno overlord, or whatever the heck his not CEO title is, he declares himself a free speech absolutist. 
Good joke. Good joke. Great joke. 10 out of 10. Fantastic joke. I just can't even. I just do not understand how. How Tesla fanboys see this sort of thing and think this is perfectly okay. That this is absolutely acceptable. You know what else is wonderfully acceptable? Facebook locking people out who didn't opt in to Facebook Protect. So Facebook Protect, if you don't know, is a security feature built into Facebook that does something. I don't know. I don't use Facebook. I like my sanity the way it is. So, um, yeah, I kind of cut, I just kind of cut my ties. I have like a work account for Facebook so that I can go ahead and post business deals and put out ads for when we're hiring. But that's about it. I don't know what Facebook protect does, but if you didn't activate it, apparently you can get your entire access to the account turned off. And to make matters even better, you want to know how you got your warning that you need to do this? You got it via email. From security at facebookmail.com. Are you serious? Security at facebookmail.com. My fight or flight sense was triggered just by reading that. That just reeks of being a bad phishing attempt. But that is what Facebook sent the notice out on. I just can't even. I don't know. Maybe I'm actually locked out of my business account now. Because I never got an email like that. Never. Not in a million years have I. Well. I mean, I'd argue that people are now better off without the access to Facebook. But, you know, that's like my opinion. So... All you can do is just shake your head at this stuff. Holy cow. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, when looking at this, what does Mark Zuckerberg have to tell us? Well, fortunately for us, Mark Zuckerberg has come out and has spoken his words of wisdom to us. And you know what he said? That NFTs are coming to Instagram. 
All right, so so he spoke about something completely unrelated. It had nothing to do with the Facebook thing. But raise of hands, who was actually surprised by this? Anyone? Anyone? Can I see those hands? No, no, I don't care that this is an audio podcast. I will find a way to see how many hands are being raised right now. He says, talking to a wall. So, it's kind of funny that Zuckerberg talks about this. Because he did try, as someone reminded us in the chat, uh, he did try launching his own cryptocurrency. And that went about as well as 100 pounds of lead attached to a robin. It didn't. It, it it took off like a lead balloon. So he's already batting zero for one in the world of crypto. But hear me out. All right. It's going to sound like I took crazy pills. But hear me out for a second. This could be the best thing that ever happened to NFTs. Follow me for a minute, all right? Here. Here's why. All right? You have NFTs coming to a major platform like Instagram. And for the most part, the user base of Instagram doesn't think things through. In fact, the the user base of Instagram is already filled with massive amounts of people trying to go ahead and trick you into going to other platforms to try and scam you, all right? The features of Instagram getting NFTs is also the ability to mint new ones. One of the biggest things I have said is the problem with NFTs is the fact that it's not centralized. NFTs, by their very nature, are uncentralized. There is no authoritative body over NFTs whatsoever. That is why NFTs are so ripe with fraud. And anyone can go ahead and turn anything into an NFT, including an already existing NFT. All you needed to do was just go through the effort of making an NFT, which before is a little difficult. You see what I'm getting at? If anyone can go ahead and make an NFT on Instagram, nothing is stopping me from ruining the point of NFTs by just copying an NFT and making it another NFT. Thus, making the non-fungible component of NFTs and the unique uniqueness element of NFTs completely and utterly pointless. That uniquely randomly generated ape you went ahead and spent you went ahead and spent $60,000 on that I just right-clicked and saved anyway. 
Well, now I have an NFT of it that I made on Instagram. Oh, you got yours on some shady website called Open Seas? Oh, well, mine's on Instagram. Way more people know about Instagram than your Open Seas, dude. I'm telling you, this could very well be... You know how, like, a lot of, like, fads and memes, they kind of die a very slow and painful death the moment your dad gets in on it? Instagram's your dad! I'm telling you, this is the best news that could possibly happen, and it's all thanks to this strange lizard person wearing human skin known as Mark Zuckerberg. Thank you, Mark. Your absolute weirdness has saved the world for the first time ever. This could very well be his only contribution to society, killing NFTs. Anyway, that's one possibility. I could be very wrong, but man, I am so freaking sick of nfts that i really 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 do hope that this does kill it oh i i'm being optimistic i mean for the most part i would say the divide between pro nft and anti nft it is the 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 gap that doesn't know about nft is what i'm getting at is becoming more and more narrow. And the more and more people that learn about NFTs are becoming more and more anti-NFT. I do think it is about a matter of time until the concept of of Web3 and NFTs and all that is completely pointless. Especially since I want to remind you that all an NFT is, is a serial number and a link. Which means that if Instagram goes down, your NFT doesn't go to anything until Instagram comes back up. Which, by the way, Instagram went down way more times than it should have lately. Now then, let's actually talk about bad news for, for NFTs. I want to talk for a minute about the Bored Ape Yacht Club. The Board Ape Yacht Club, if you somehow don't know, is basically one of the most popular NFT platforms that exists. The whenever you think of NFTs, the first thing that comes up is one of those fugly, really, really ugly monkeys. All Board Ape Yacht Club is is about 20 art assets and an algorithm that mixes them all up and then sells them for 50 grand each. That's all it is. All right? Well, the Board Ape Yacht Club has finally launched their own cryptocurrency. A very successful NFT platform that that got very successful off the back of a whole bunch of suckers. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, no one would look at that and um, try to do any sort of pump and dump scheme with a reputable platform like the Board Ape Yacht Club, right? 
Right? Right? The currency is only a couple days old and already it's been rug pulled. It's a new freaking record. After the ApeCoin launched, the price of it soared absurdly quickly up to $40. And then very, very quickly, all of a sudden, there was a massive sell-off by a lot of the people who were all in early on with the NFTs. Because here's the thing. Here's the beauty about what they did. And pretty much proving that now 100% of all NFT platforms are massive scams. People who own Bored Ape NFTs got some of the currency for free. And those people basically just sold off their currency the moment the price hit 40 bucks and then turned the whole thing to a giant rug pull. By the way, uh, on my radar, this came from a website called web3isdoinggreat.com. And this might be my favorite website title ever. Because its entire topic is just Web3 is going just great and definitely is not an enormous grift that's pouring lighter fluid on an already smoldering planet. sums up about how I feel about it for the most part other than you know there could have been some potential in the whole technology but ah, let's use it to scam people instead <laughs> now we're going to shift gears we're going to get off the topic of NFTs and crypto and instead talk about one of the most notorious Twitch streamers out there. He's been on the platform for the longest time, unfortunately not lately. Dr. Disrespect. Now you see, Dr. Disrespect is a very honorable man. He was banned spontaneously one day by Twitch as Twitch went uh, full, we don't know what, but they're trying to pander to as many groups as they possibly can in a way that's very, very shameless. And one of those ways involved getting rid of Dr. Disrespect for reasons we still don't know. Now, Dr. Disrespect has come out and basically said, you know, we're dropping our lawsuit with Twitch and we'll basically now never ever know about why Dr. Disrespect was banned from Twitch. But fortunately, Dr. Disrespect has decided to instead just move on with his life. But look forward. And to which I say, great, great, go ahead. You know. Anyone in their career should go ahead and look forward instead of looking back. You always should move forward with whatever you're working on and expand to what could be going on. And definitely, you know, just always think through everything and treat those who are loyal to your platform with respect and never possibly try to go ahead and, oh, are you kidding me? 
Dr. Disrespect launches Project Moon, a game that offers early adopters of the game NFTs within the game. Why am I surprised that someone who calls himself Dr. Disrespect is showing such disrespect to the people buying the game? This surprises me way more than it should. Now, the actual statement from Dr. Disrespect is that the his upcoming game Project Moon from Midnight Society would feature would feature NFT features as expected was met with vitriol and criticism criticism from critics who simply didn't understand what was happening. But the doc is actually providing an NFT offering that will benefit players and more importantly, one that they don't even need to opt into. What in the heck word salad did I just read? Here's what slays me about NFT games. And oddly enough, some people may have noticed this on, uh, on Twitter. If they follow me on Twitter at, at Eagle double underscore Falcon, dot com or eagle double underscore falcon I have been sitting in on a lot of meetings for NFT games mostly because I've been seeing that slasher who is a former or possibly current I don't know what's going on uh, reporter for esports games yeah, we haven't heard from Slasher in a while. It's really weird. But he's been sitting on a lot of these meetings for these NFT games. Not a single one of these NFT games can tell me what is the benefit of NFTs in a game. Like, the best you're going to get is, well, by having this DLC be an NFT you can go ahead and use it in another game that uses NFTs, which, by the way, no, you can't. That's not how NFTs work. Because remember, an NFT is just a link and a serial number. That's it. Still. You notice how I said nothing in there about a universal code that makes compatible with multiple different game engines? You notice how I said there is none of this, none of that. There's nothing like that at all. Anything that would be an NFT as an in-game item would still be made compatible with the game engine or another game engine like it. Someone in chat says, what about tradable in-game items? You'd still have to make the game compatible with that. And even then, 
there's nothing stopping you from already existing items in the game just being made tradable. If I fire Final Fantasy XIV right now, there's nothing stopping me from trading, say, a crafted, uh, a crafted cosmetic coat from one character to another. That's a feature that's built into the game. You'd still have to do that even if the item was an NFT. Because again, all the NFT is, is a link and a serial number. And when push comes to shove, that cosmetic code I just described, all it is, is an item ID number in a database. And a few other bits of code, most likely at the end of it, saying if anything special was with it. Like if it was a high quality version of that cosmetic coat, which in the case of F14 doesn't matter. Or anything of that. Or actually if it was a different color. Say if it was dyed from its normal green to say gunmetal black. Or pearl white. Or red. Or bubblegum pink. Notice how all those various variations I said there didn't include the NFT serial number? That doesn't matter. Oh, actually, I think there is like a line in there that says who crafted it in the case of FF14. But you see my point. No one has yet come up with a unique feature with NFTs for why it should be an NFT as opposed to literally just done the old way. Although here is one excuse I've heard used constantly that actually makes my brain hurt. Are you ready for it? The NFT is decentralized, therefore, you still keep your item even after the game dies. And then what? The NFT still has to go ahead and connect to whatever the link is is going to to sell what the heck the NFT even is. So even after the game runs its course and the servers for your online game shut down, all I'll have is an NFT in my digital wallet that leads to a 404 error code. Plus, the game is going to have a centralized server because you can't mint the whole game, the whole centralized system into the blockchain. The blockchain links aren't big enough for that sort of thing. And if you were able to do that, if you were, say, using a giant peer-to-peer system to go ahead and make an MMO, that would be intuitive. That Or not intuitive. That would be unique. That would be impressive, honestly. And that could justify the existence of NFTs. But no one is doing that because it's not within the capability of Web 3.0.
Web 3.0, and I've said this time and time again, and I want to stress it again, because again and again and again, people want to go ahead and say I'm wrong and refuse to elaborate. Web 3.0 is an absolute joke because no one can justify why Web 3.0 actually is a step forward. All Web 3.0 is, is moving around very minuscule amounts of data and consuming a metric ton of energy to go ahead and accomplish very little. And this is going from the guy who has two freaking commercial grade workstations on his desk and a 12U server rack in another room. And all of that combined consumes less energy than what it takes to actually go ahead and fu- and record transactions on the blockchain. But go ahead, please. Tell me how your hilariously inefficient method for recording data is far superior to how the world works now. And give as much detail as you can, because if you just tell me it just is, you are not helping your case at all. And you just look like an idiot. All right, I think that's enough NFT ranting. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Uh, YouTube shuts down... uh, a uh, you a YouTube viewer. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right. Well, it's now been a week since the last Apple announcement. Apple announced, if you don't remember, the Mac Studio, which is a brand new product, a brand new segment, because the Mac Pro is still going to exist. It is a thick, with 17 Cs, Mac Mini. That's supposed to have Mac Pro performance. And this is what we were promised, right? We were promised a 10900K level of performance from the CPU and a RTX 3090 worth of GPU performance. Well, I got bad news because I totally called it. They got nowhere close to the, excuse me, to the performance numbers. The performance per watt numbers, they did get right. This thing is a massive performance per, per watt powerhouse. The sucker is very efficient, consume, consuming about 300 watts at peak. But to compare it to the 500 watt RTX 3090, uh, no. It doesn't even come close to what the 3090 can do. And keep in mind, the 3090 is not a creator card, which is what the M1 Ultra is. That is always one thing we need to keep in mind when we talk about performance. 
different systems can be built for different applications. For example, I stream on a professional workstation. It uses an Intel Xeon processor, which is intended not for high-end gaming performance, but for reliability in long extended tasks, which is why it actually excels at rendering this stream. It's a very reliable chip. It's a very power efficient chip for what it does. And granted, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to its core i7 equivalent. But the differences are enough that I get a better benefit from this Xeon over a core i7. That and also, you know, the core i7 equivalent of, the, uh, of what I'm using costs $350 for the chip alone. And I got the whole computer for $250, which was actually the real reason why I went for it, because I'm also a scrapyard hound. But I digress. Like one thing that the M1 is terrible at is gaming performance. And we've seen that with the M1 Pro and the M1 Max when those first came out. They were awful at games. They just didn't even come close. Like they they were keeping up basically with like the Intel integrated GPU in certain applications. It was just not even. Single threaded performance, it was also lackluster in. Multi-threaded performance, it was very, very good. But one claim that was made during the uh, keynote is that you are not going to find a better machine for $4,000 than the Mac Studio. I still don't know if that's true. And right now, it feels unfair to try and go shopping for a better performing workstation. You want to know why? Because no one has current gen Threadripper parts in a workstation yet. And it is driving me insane. And I really would rather go Threadripper for this comparison because Threadripper in the PC world is going to be the far better example for trying to compete with this kind of power. In the Intel space, we're still using CPUs from four years ago. I'm not even kidding. We are still using like 10th generation scalable CPUs. Max CPU count on a Intel Platinum scalable processor is still 28 cores. And for the price that I could get 28 cores on an Intel side of thing, I can get 64 on Threadripper. The ideal machine that I would love to compare is a 32 core Threadripper system against the Mac Studio, which which sounds unfair, 
But if my budget is four thousand dollars, a two thousand dollar thirty-two core Threadripper leaves me still two thousand dollars for the rest of the system and a thirty ninety. And I know I can beat the Mac Studio if I were able to do that. But you know what the best part is about this? I know that we're going to get reviews soon that's going to do these comparisons. Right now, the only comparisons we got, the only reviews we got, are from tech YouTubers like MKBHD, like... Oh, God, I forgot. His oh, Snazzy Labs from Dave2D. A lot of these tech YouTubers that honestly are very favorable to Apple, their entire in-house process uses Apple. And so they're going to run some benchmark. I would say actually of all of them, MKBHD, oddly enough, being the most fair in all this, but they don't have the tools to compare it to a PC equivalent. I'm waiting for the Gamers Nexus, for the Linus Tech Tips, for the Tom's Hardwares, for the iFixit crew to get their hands on this hardware and compare it to actual workstations. And I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on those reports and then, ju and then judge it for myself. And then, of course, I'll try to go ahead and build out a system myself on some other system builder site. Now, the other elephant in the room when it comes to the Mac hardware. The Mac Studio is targeted at production studios. If there is one thing I want you to always remember from me and these podcasts, it is this. Professionals care about one thing and one thing only when it comes to compute performance. Uptime. Actually, I shouldn't say one thing only, but their top of the, their, their most important thing is uptime because downtime means they are burning money and not making it. Performance and speed also matter because, of course, if you can get projects out faster, you can work on the next one sooner or notice mistakes and fix them faster. That is important. This is also why if you look at professional computers, you're going to notice some things. On the inside, they look much nicer. They look much more well laid out. Why? Because if a component dies, they want the infield service tech to replace it that same day and get it back up and running within hours, if not minutes, of the failure. In one of these Z440s that I have here, you want to know how easy it is to change out the power supply if it dies? Four screws on the back, disconnect one bolt connector on the inside, pop in the new power supply, four screws, then plug the connector back in. Done. 
I could change out the power supply in the streaming PC in 15 minutes, assuming I had an extra power supply on hand. And this is the low-end workstation. SSD dies. New one, the new hardware can be back in in roughly five minutes. Easy. It's not hidden under some sort of cool shroud you see in a lot of gaming PCs. It's just right there up in the open. It doesn't look pretty, but guess what? Boop, boop, done. It's changed out. Let's re-image. Let's get you back to work. What is the Mac Studio's answer for the professional environment? Well, if you want to get into the Mac Studio, you have to remove a glued-on rubber ring on the bottom and then remove four screws on the bottom. You then have to very carefully take this off, disconnect two wires that are connected to the bottom, and then you're going to find an absolute hellscape of daughter boards and metal that you can't tell what is where. Not that it matters because of course, everything is on the Apple Silicon board. The storage, the RAM, the GPU, the CPU, it's all on that M1 chip. Except, I fix it found there is a small connected device on the side that looks like a micro SATA storage device. Of course, it isn't. But research is being done right now to figure out what that is. Because if it turns out that this unified memory and everything that's so great about the M1 chip and some of it's not on the chip, well, then questions are coming up like, why? Why are we being this hostile to the concept of actually repairing devices? And, the, and here's the killer part about this all, right? Apple preaches about being an eco-friendly company. Even though the whole computer is disposable. If the RAM dies, that's it. The motherboard has to be changed. If a single byte of RAM dies on there, there's no fixing it. Any other system, you can go ahead, pop off the RAM, pop in a new stick. That's it. You're only replacing one stick. In the Apple case, no, whole system. Dead. But this isn't as offensive as the studio display. Oh, the studio display. The $1,600 clone. Of the $1,300 LG display from four years ago. But you know what's killer about the studio display? (laughs) You know what the killer part about it is? The stand, first off, is built in. You have to order it from the factory with with whatever your mounting system is. So 
if you don't want a tilt only stand for your $1,600 display, which if you're shelling out that kind of money and it only tilts, you're getting ripped off. I hope you paid extra for the one that is adjustable or just straight up got the VESA amount kit. So you could just go ahead and bring your own stand. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the best part. The company that went ahead and said, we're not going to include power adapters because it's going to create too much e-waste. Put a proprietary cable on the back of the studio, on the, on the studio display that is locked in at six feet. The whole power cable is only six feet. So I hope your outlet is only six feet away. Oh, and it's non-removable. The power cord for your $1,600 professional freaking monitor is non-removable. So if the cat goes and if your studio cat chews on the cable, that's it. Monitor ruined. Or is it? This is where things get weirder from the point of view of Apple. All right. Get this. The monitor Despite the fact That they say is non-removable The cord is removable But it's held in place with super powerful springs The crew at Linus Tech Tips Have already shown You can remove the cable But it flexes on the whole monitor And can possibly cause damage Why? Like, I don't get it. So, do you care about the environment or not? You're sending us very weird mixed signals here. So it's not recommended to be removed at all all right you're not supposed to remove this cord ever but you can remove it someone in chat asked it needs certified tech tool tech with tools possibly but there's no sign as to what it is it could be you need to take a very strong magnet to a certain spot and that releases the cable but Here's my question. If this is intended for production studios, as in it's intended for professionals, 
where uptime, like I said, is the number one focus, then why make it so that the cable is so difficult to remove? And this is from the same people who only several months ago released an iMac that's thinner than this, by the way, with a detachable MagSafe connector. They have a power adapter for this thing. They they could have just made it so that it uses the same power adapter as the iMac. Save the cost, just produce the one power brick for both the iMac that could have been compatible with this monitor. Enjoyed the savings there. Instead of doing this nonsense, it, it's just, it's so stupid from both an ecological standpoint, an economical standpoint, a consumer-friendly standpoint, and a business standpoint. It is literally Apple going out of their way to just flip you off because we're Apple and you're going to buy it anyway because you're a stupid studio who can't seem to understand that, you know, us as Apple, we don't care about the one thing studios care about, which is making sure everything runs smoothly. Someone in chat asks, is it profitable for Apple? Oh yeah, no, it's absolutely profitable for Apple. Because you have the profit of the LG monitor plus an additional $300. I want to remind you that this is the same company that developed the Power Mac G4, a computer tower where with a single finger, you could open it and the entire computer would unfold in a way that you had access to literally everything. The CPU, the RAM, the hard drive, the power supply, everything. You could service everything effortlessly with a single finger. This is from the same company that made the G4 Cube, a small compact computer that with a push of a thumb and a pull of a handle, you have the entire guts of the computer in the palm of your hand, or rather just holding from the handle and looking like a cool nuclear fusion core. But you could go ahead and service everything and even swap out components. Same company. And I would have thought, now that Apple has switched to their own silicon and they know you have to go to their own parts, they would have tried to be a bit more eco-friendly, try to go ahead and show themselves to be as environmentally friendly as they want to claim to be, but no, they're not. And I want you to remember this every single time because you are inevitably going to find, at some point in your life, an Apple fanboy. And much like Prius owners, much like Tesla owners nowadays, they think because they went with Apple that they're helping the planet. And whether you uh, whether you personally want to be an environmentalist or not, it is still important to inform someone to go, 
you know your laptop is just one giant piece of throwaway nonsense, right? You knew you know that phone you're holding right there is a giant glass sandwich with a glued-in battery that once it's dead, rather than being able to have a second life by being fixed, it's just going to be thrown out, right? There's no chance of saving it ever. Right? Well, I am not a diehard environmentalist. I am one as a computer refurbisher in saying that devices should be repairable because anything, even two workstations from 2014, they might not be able to go ahead and keep up with current versions of CAD and Maya and every other kind of high-end professional task that these two towers used to, but you know what? They can still power a Twitch stream. They can still play video games just fine. They can see a second life rather than be in a landfill. Or worse, in a chemical bath being melted back down into the lead and gold that they once were. How many times have I had to go ahead and make that sort of clarification? Uh, what can you do? What can you do? Speaking of Apple regressing, the latest update of macOS 12.3 is bricking Macs that had logic boards replaced on them. When did we switch to macOS 12? Like, I thought we just switched to macOS 11. I feel like I missed a step somewhere. But in any case, macOS 12.3, if you had a mother, if you had a logic board replacement on it, um, this newest version kills your Mac. Slow freaking clap. Good job. So if you have a current Mac and it's been repaired ever, you might not want to update yet. You're probably going to want to wait a little bit longer. You know, just in case. Better safe than sorry, as they say, right? We do have an a sneak peek at the next iPhone for the next iPhone, the iPhone 14. And it's, um, a bizarre rumor to say the least. What they're saying is that Apple might be recycling. And that the new standard iPhone 14 will still use the current gen processors and the, Pro models will move to the next-gen processors. So the rumors are saying iPhone 14 will use the A15 and the iPhone 14 Pros 
We'll use the A16. All right, you want my bold prediction? Based on the current rumors. I haven't heard anything about the charge ports. I don't know if we're going to be losing charge ports yet or not. Although I imagine it's going to happen. Mac OS 12 dropped four months ago. Whoa. Okay, then. That is at least what someone in chat is telling me. All right. I think there is still going to be a camera bump on the back of the iPhone 14, even though a lot of even though a lot of people are saying there's not going to be. The early renders we've seen still shows a sh still shows a bump. I can't imagine Apple's going to get rid of the bump after they've just made it such a big deal. I think we will see a hole punch cut out for the front-facing camera. The pill and dot is what I've been seeing a lot of. I assume that's what we're going to be getting. But here's where I'm going to stray from other people. I think the iPhone 14 is going to still use the A15 like a lot of people are saying. I think the Pro model is going to use the M1. I think that Pro model is going to use the M1 and it's going to get USB-C. This many people are saying it's going to get a, get a new gen chip, but the old one is not. That to me just reeks of we're going to go ahead and put this efficient powerhouse M1 chip into the into the highest end iPhones. I think to me, it's just obvious that is going to be their plan. Will I be right? Will I be wrong? Only time will tell. But based on what I'm seeing right now in these rumors, the iPhone 14, we're only in March, we're already getting a lot of iPhone 14 rumors. So I got a feeling it's going to be a big redesign year. That that front-facing camera is going to get that big alteration people are talking about. And I think this is where we're going to finally see the port change up. And now finally, the story I teased. How many people have heard of YouTube Vanced? Anyone. YouTube, YouTube Vanced. looks like no one this is a weird one because all of a sudden stories erupted everywhere about how youtube vanced is being shut down and i've never heard of this it is apparently an alternative player to youtube for android and apparently it was very popular Despite the fact that it being shut down was the first time I've ever heard of it. Well, Google has forced YouTube Vanced to shut down due to legal reasons. I am honestly surprised 
that this app lasted for as long as it did? Because apparently they've been around for years, years, and have only now faced a legal threat. The fact that YouTube was this oblivious to an alternative player and just didn't do anything about it is very, very surprising to me. We're going to take our last break here. When we come back, I got some fun stories for you, including potentially the end of daylight savings time and a concept GameCube player made real. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. I have a, uh, despite this wonderful bit of uh, peaceful music here, I I have a bit of a story that makes you go, I'm sorry, what? Google hijacked millions of customers and orders from restaurants according to a lawsuit so apparently google has put a blue order online button that supposedly saps profits and diverts customers from the restaurants positioned next to the listings the actual program was to provide a a like a, a service like uber eats to place orders to those restaurants automatically to help promote sales to these restaurants during the time of the pandemic. Which on paper, that sort of thing seems fine, except this all happened automatically. The restaurants didn't as far as I'm aware, opt in to this feature at all. The lawsuit is saying that these sort of orders sapped profits from them, though. I don't know how that could be possible. Because in the end, you're still ordering takeout from the restaurant, and the only cut that Uber Eats, DoorDash, and all those sort of services take is their rather high delivery fee. Which, granted, I mean, to be perfectly honest, as someone who's kind of in logistics, that's about how much you'd actually would have to pay for the driver just to go ahead and drive it. Like, a lot of those, like, pizza delivery places and whatnot is... You know, yeah. You're you're t- you you get what I'm saying, right? 
I mean, the main reason Domino's charges two bucks is because they're also, you know, paying the delivery driver. Whereas a place like DoorDash, they're only making the delivery fee. That's it. Now, we'll just have to see how this lawsuit goes, because I don't know how much of a case there is, but I will say that if these buttons were placed on Google's site by Google and without the consent of the restaurants, I think that's a little uh, sketch, to say the least. Now, unfortunately, we do have some bad news to get to, and that's uh, this little disappointing bit of news and that is china is starting to see a lockdown starting to come into place because of covid 19 apparently only now hong kong is starting to see the omicron variant starting to sweep through and their first instinct is to start doing shutdowns again. Now, considering the death toll of Omicron percentage-wise is not that great, and I, I should clarify, I am not an epidemiologist at all. I only have a basic understanding of how viruses work but concerning the fact that in a place like hong kong you are already living on top of each other the odds of you catching this are equal whether you lock down or not in the end this lockdown is going to do almost nothing most likely anyway, but the reason why this matters on a tech channel, because I want to remind you, this is a tech podcast, is that you know how there's a chip shortage? You know how it looks like we're starting to see the end of the chip shortage? Yeah, it's going to get a little longer now. Yeah, that's... uh. When you start seeing tech hubs like Foxconn, Huawei, and other such foundries start to lock down because of the virus TM. Yeah, the chip shortage is going to last a little longer. Which is unfortunate because we were just starting to see a reprieve. But then, of course, what's going on in Ukraine is also going to play a role on the logistical side of things. And then also seeing companies like XFX try to smuggle cards out and then getting seized by China Customs is, just, is not helping at all. Over 5,000 GPUs were seized because XFX tried to mark them as actually lower-end GPUs than what they actually were. (sighs) 
So we got companies trying to pull a fast one on authorities and losing their product as a result while, uh, well, yeah, we don't know what the heck's going on with the rest of the GPU space. Although there is word that uh, Intel's Arc GPUs coming soon. We now for another story that's just kind of I'm sorry, what? An open source maintainer sabotages code in order to wipe Russian and Belarusian computers. The saboteur apparently was trying to go ahead and sabotage Russian computers in protest to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There is a problem. This activist borderline, I'm not going to go ahead and put any more colorful labels on it. By trying to go in and sabotage the code to go ahead and delete this data, you know what else they deleted? Countless records of Russian atrocities committed within Ukraine. The saboteur and activist that went ahead and sabotaged open source code directly hurt the cause they were were actively trying to help. Smooth like butter. Just, just smooth. You know what else this doesn't do? You know what else this helps? This helps any service out there trying to go ahead and say that closed source is better than open source. Because in closed source, this sort of thing doesn't happen. And unfortunately, it is very hard to argue against that right now. It's just all I can do is shake my head. All I can do is shake my head. In other odd news that uh, is much more lighthearted, um, we managed to find one thing that American politics, that American politicians 100% agree on. I never thought I'd see that. I, trust me, this is not a political story. But before, before you turn off the podcast, not a political story. But we did find something that 100% of politicians agree on. Are you ready? 
Are you ready to find out what finally in this toxic political environment we got everyone to agree on? To end adjusting clocks for daylight savings. We can finally, <laughs> we can all join hands and rejoice. All right, so it, it, to be to be clear, what this is going to do is in the U.S. make it so that daylight savings time is made permanent. This means, so if you don't know, daylight savings time is dirt is during the springs and summer when you advance the clock one hour. That is daylight savings time. When you fall back, you are leaving daylight savings time. This bill, assuming it passed, will make it so that the clocks just stay one hour ahead. So this means... That in the winter, if you're in a state like mine in Wisconsin, your winters would not have the sun set at 4 p.m. It would instead set at 5 p.m. This also means that if standard time were to, would, were to happen in summer, the sun would rise at something like at like almost 5 a.m. That would not happen. It would instead still rise at 6 a.m. It's basically the best of all worlds, at least in a state like mine here in Wisconsin. Your state, it may vary. The only problem, the only problem with this is that during the winter, it means that some sunrises closer to the, closer to the winter solstice would be, as someone just mentioned in the chat, pretty close to about 8.30 a.m. And that could be a problem. The bill currently has gotten unanimous support. has gotten unanimous support in the Senate and currently with the current makeup of the House and Senate the Senate is the hardest body to get passed because the split between the two parties is 50-50 and in the Senate in addition to that in order to have a bill leave debate and actually get voted on, it must pass what's called a filibuster vote. Or actually, no, it's a, I'm sorry, it's actually called a vote for cloture. And that has to pass by 60 votes. It's what's referred to as the filibuster rule. But, you know, that's getting into the weed of things. The, the House of Representatives, I can't remember the exact split, but it's in favor of the party that currently controls the White House. So it has to get past the House. I don't think it's reached the House yet. 
and then it has to be signed by President Biden after his afternoon nap time. So we'll see how it goes. I am actually curious, because like the only downside there is to it is going to be the... The for a few weeks sunrise not coming until after eight. Now, one argument to that is also you just go to Alaska where you just don't get sunrise at all. There is that concept too. I mean, I personally don't see a problem with it. I have walked to school at at dusk and arrived, you know, as the sun was rising when I was growing up. So, I mean, for me, I don't see a whole lot of it. I don't see a whole lot of problem with it, but, you know, I'm one person. What others think about it? That's, that's the important thing. The other question also is the springing ahead and falling back concept of it, because... Well... There's a lot of studies recently regarding health risks of adjusting the clocks like that. When you're younger, you can adjust to it pretty easily. Or apparently not in my case, since apparently I just got absolutely hosed by by it and just blarg. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I personally am in favor of the bill. I don't know what's going to happen. I would assume since it got through the Senate with a hundred percent of the vote, I have a hard time seeing it's not going to pass the house and then not get signed by the president. But we'll just have to wait and see how this goes. Now, switching gears a little bit, because I actually have a bit more time to fill. We have this little story here. Twitter apparently had a feature that would um, order your timeline in such a way that it would be in the time of that things happened and you could opt into that system. Well, Twitter has backpedaled on that. And now everyone is going back to everything. Your timeline being out of complete order. I personally would have just preferred to have the option, but you know, what do I know? I'm just the user who cares about how I want to have my services dealt to me. I'm just going to instead just not have that, I guess. SMH. S M. H. 
There is, however, a law being passed in Minnesota that would protect the children from the real danger in the world. Do you know what the real danger is? Do you know what is truly dangerous to children? It's not walking walking to school both way both ways uphill in in six snow. It's 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 not Instagram. It's not. It's not porn. It's not politician. It's not Monokuma. Although you shouldn't let your kids watch porn. That what the what 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 what? No no no. The greatest danger to our kids. Algorithms. This law that's that's being proposed in Minnesota would ban algorithms from recommending feeds to the children. <laughs> what? Y- you know what? Y- you know what? Pass it. Pass it. I dare you to pass it. And then I dare you to try and enforce it. I, I want to see how you're going to enforce this. Banning algorithms. So the concept is that social media feeds use various algorithms. What is an algorithm? Well, it is basically a large math equation. It, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, obviously, but it's basically a giant math equation that calculates what is the best thing to show to the user. There's a bit more to it than that, but that's basically what it is in like the most blatantly basic way I can explain it. It's how a lot of things work. Most likely you're listening to this podcast now because an algorithm has recommended that you should go listen to this, or you found me on Twitter. In which case, Twitter then thought that you'd want to go and see this with an algorithm. Almost everything on the internet is fed to us through an algorithm. It is why my Twitter feed is actually very, very clean, because I've gone out of my way to train the algorithm to not show me absolutely toxic as heck frickin' political tweets because I've gone ahead and spent the extra effort to train the out al- the algorithm that way my feed is actually very very clean like I can bring it up right now and we have a tweet from Linus showing the inside of the oh wow he's actually digging in really deep into the inside of his uh Mac studio Or an article from The Verge that's talking about how, uh, oh, Telegram is now banned in Brazil. Okay, then. Some screenshot from Final Fantasy fourteen, a tweet from the PC Master Race, some, the guy, uh, the inside of someone's fridge, which is containing nothing but hot sauce. 
you know, and I and I've done a lot of work to make sure that there's not any sort of hot garbage in my Twitter feed. Except for the inside of that one guy's fridge. I don't know why I got that. So there you go. That's how that sort of thing works. So I want to know how Minnesota plans to enforce this law. Is there just going to be no internet inside Minnesota? (laughs) Someone in chat said, you just said you had an article from The Verge. Thus, you cannot claim that your feed doesn't have hot garbage. Look, I'll just say The Verge is a very useful tool for getting leads on a story, but you absolutely should go to another source other than The Verge to confirm that story. that's, That's how I use The Verge as a tool. Or, you know, just go ahead and uh, read the Verge article and go, wow, I feel dumber now. And thus, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. Long ago, there was a concept render out there of a game cube tablet it was basically a small little game cube that was foldable like a game boy advanced sd you'd fold it in half you could put it in your pocket it would have the GameCube discs in it you know it was a concept that was made long long ago but unfortunately never ever became reality Well, you know what? Ginger of Oz decided this needs to be a real thing. And you know what? He did it. The crazy man did it. He made the world's first and only portable GameCube. Made a slot-loading DVD reader, or not a DVD, uh, mini, I forgot what the format is. Just used a slot-loading disc reader. The top of, of the device is the GameCube controller, with all the buttons just laid into the device. It has a small little screen, and you know what? It looks beautiful. Apparently, he went ahead and used parts from a Nintendo Wii to make this doable. Most likely, that's where the disk drive also came from as well. And you know what? Gimme. I want one. I don't know what I'd do with it, but I kind of want one now. Even though I own a grand total of two... GameCube games. Part of me just... We've just did a story like this, you know? After months upon months upon months about talking about how there's no GPUs, 
you better just go ahead and just get used to making whatever computers you got run right now as best you can. Games are just becoming giant cesspools of freemium currency and the old days of just buying a game and being able to enjoy it are gone. You know, the chip shortage is going to last until the end of time. Oh, by the way, there's a war in Ukraine now because because one Russian guy doesn't know how to pull out. It's just... We, we, we need a nice, wonderful story like this one. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which you can find at anchor.fm slash early B-I-R-B briefing. It's a short four-minute daily podcast where we talk about a single topic that most likely gets covered on, on here as well. But you know what? You hear it first there. That's a nice way to wake up in the morning and check out my daily podcast or check, check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon or record this podcast every weekend. Take care and I hope you have a great day. The portable GameCube, the, the the GameCube portable is cute and all, but here's the real question: When the heck are we gonna get a portable version of the N64? I'm just saying, I want to go ahead and play split screen GoldenEye with my friends on a two inch portable screen display. You know what the worst part is with the resolution that that the N64 probably put out? It probably would look super high res on a 2-inch display like these sort of things would have. I don't even know what the screen size is on this on this GameCube portable. But now I just want more portable retro consoles even though most of them just kind of spit in the face of the whole ori- original hardware retroisk things, but I, I still want it. And you can't stop me from wanting.